0: Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? lower utility costs, and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance.
1: This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan as they work their way under the Honda Bridge off of turn number 11. Start finish line is next. The green flag is next and we will get the Honda Indy Toronto underway and it looks like a great jump for Christian Lundgaard to turn number one. Yeah, it was Scott McLaughlin who's trying to protect the second spot from Pato Ward and he'll do it into turn number one. They're going three wide for the fifth position. Scott Dixon's going to pick up a couple spots.
2: Roman Rojan is certainly hungry. It's been a while since he's had a good finish and our points leader, Alex Palou is right in his mirrors. Actually, Grosjean. Jake starting to catch Colton Herta as well. Herta again,
1: especially off turn number four, just looks a little bit loose. Now Polo gonna go to the inside of Roman John. He dispatches him through turn number five. Now sets sail for Colton Herta. How about that battle for third? And right by side, here they come, Luke guard and Alex Pelow. Lundgaard makes the pass, exiting turn number four. So Christian Lundgaard now gets in front of Alex Palou. Pillow. Palou's next worry would be Colton Herta, just behind him. Six laps to go, and Michael Young. By the time they get back to you, I would be shocked if that front wing assembly is still intact on Alex
2: Palou. It is about ready to fall off. Uh, it was to the point where Alex Palou is now under attack from Colton Herta, but he's not going to give up the position. He'll drive it in late and break it deep. But Colton Herta will look to the outside out of four. They literally look like one car heading
1: into turn number five. Hurta Strott tried to go wide, couldn't make the move. Hello, shut the door. Now all of a sudden there's company right behind Colton Hurta as well. It is 28th start. Christian Lundgaard is going to get Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing back to Victory Lane here on the streets of Toronto. The Advance Auto Park checkered flag is out and he wins the Honda Indy Toronto, his first career win in the NTT IndyCar Series. Let the celebration begin for this talented young driver. Alex Pillow, what a drive by him to hold on to the second spot. Colton Herter will grab third. Looks like Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden complete the top five here at the Honda Indy Toronto.
3: Ah, I mean, it was such a long race and, and that first stint, um, obviously being on the green uh, Firestone tires and, and Scott behind
0: being on the primaries, we knew that we had to, to pull a gap um, and I would say that second yellow didn't really work work in our favor, but in the end we made, it, we made it happen on pure pace. I mean, we just pulled away as soon as we got clean air and this team deserves this. Uh,
3: I got to th- say thank you to Hivey and everything they, they're doing for this team and doing for me. And uh, I can tell you, we'll do do the best job we can next week in an hour for them.
1: You touched on it a little bit, but when the uh, timing stand told you that they hated to tell you, but at three laps ahead of the uh, window, they were going to bring you in. What was going through your mind at that point?
3: I mean, not not much,
0: because uh, I knew I'd be able to make the make the fuel uh, at the end, uh, just purely purely on on the pace we had. So I wasn't really too worried. Uh, the only thing I was worried about, I didn't really know which which tires and how uh, what the life was on the other other cars. Highlights from the Honda Indy Toronto from over the weekend, or is it Toronto? I get chastised if we enunciate from our Canadian friends. Welcome, thanks for joining us. They even want it to be pronounced Toronto, is is what I'm getting. But I notice Hinch enunciates a decent amount, so we're gonna go with that. Thank you for joining us, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Eddie Garrison is back in our studios tonight in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, Alex Pelot did not win. Kurt, that's the headline for the day. But he almost did. Uh, another side, I, I think that's a, almost as big of a story. But let's talk Christian Lungard first, because that's a story that a 21-year-old has realized the promise that he showed when he came to the Indianapolis Road Course about two years ago and shockingly qualified fourth in basically his first time in the car. So that's part 1 and then part 2
1: is what Ray Hall Letterman Landing has been able to do. Yeah, it's been quite a turnaround for for Ray Hall Letterman Landing in almost 3 years. By the way, good to good to be back with you on a Tuesday. Um it um it, you know from where Ray Hall has been as a team over the last I don't know, certainly 6 months, uh we've seen some flashes. You know, they've had a few good moments. Uh, but it has been, and we talked about this a few weeks back kind of a haves and have-nots of the IndyCar series. And they were certainly in the have-nots. Uh, they have not been very good either with uh, Christian's car, although he's been better than, than I think most of us, uh, would, would think just based on results and, you know, pace. And, you know, we just don't really know what to make of Christian. And I'll give you, we can talk about some stats in a minute, but, but Graham's car largely not been very good, and Jack Harvey's has been the, uh, the you know the the weakest of the three in terms of results and pace. But quite a comeback for for Ray Hall Letterman, and it's good to see they're one of the foundational pieces of this series. It's you know with with Bobby's uh, cachet and David Letterman's cachet. It's it's a team you want to see do well. They've invested in the community. They have, you know, built this new new factory, if you will, a new uh, showcase up in Zionsville, probably about 15 minutes north of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So they've invested. Mike Lanigan's put a lot of effort into this, and you like to see things go well. And as you mentioned, Christian Lundgaard just two years ago uh, showed up at IMS for the road course race. We didn't know who he was. We thought he had pace, but he was young, didn't really have a future in terms of having a ride. And... You know, very quickly, I think, on on our schedule, if if we looked at it from the outside, he's come to the front of the pack pretty quickly and good for him and a good a good start for their uh, for their program moving forward. And he's probably also opened the floodgates a little bit. And, you know, and as an aside,
0: might have made it tougher for those that come up through the IndyCar ladder system through what was the road to Indy and Indy next, because, Team owners and drivers, probably more importantly, drivers, have realized, ooh, it's really tough to get to Formula One. And if I don't, there's a pretty good option over there. And I can follow what Lungard has done and Callum Ilott has done and a few others over the years. So it's not like he's the first to do that or it's brand new. But, you know, as we get into silly season and throw out the names that we know, I almost guarantee there's going to be a name we do not know that gets in the mix next year or i should say you and i don't know people that are paying attention to f2 would know but we're not paying as close to attention to that here's the other thing that's really notable and you touched on this that it's been the haves and the have-nots i almost feel like the season has now started because that's one of the things that so many of us enjoy most about indy I feel like in NASCAR and certainly in other sports, you have your favorite teams. Every fan has a specific team. And there are people that have their favorite drivers and teams in IndyCar. But I think a lot of people just enjoy the sport and they enjoy a lot of different people winning and enjoy the competition and the uncertainty. And we've always had that. Yes, we know who wins the championships. It's Penske and Ganassi. And a time ago was Andretti, but we always had two or three other outliers
1: that won races. And this
0: year we have not. Now we do. Someone has broken through.
1: Well, and interestingly, if we'd have been sitting here, you know, say February 1 and tried to assess which teams were going to win the win a race or which drivers were going to win a race, you know, what kind of odds would it have taken for you to to accept that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan would win a race before Arrow McLaren mm. in 2023. I mean, this you know we've we've seen you know some different winners. We've seen Marcus Armstrong win races. We've seen Scott McLaughlin and Joseph Newgarden win the Indy 500. In his case, you know we have seen some. We've seen already seen two new winners. Uh, to your point about seeing diversity, we've had Kyle Kirkwood win Long Beach, one of the most challenging. Uh, race circuits in this series for certain, and maybe in in, uh, certainly North American motorsports. So Kyle Kirkwood and Christian Lundgaard become first-time winners. I looked it up today. Uh, They are now uh, two, give us two first-time winners. That's now five straight years with a new winner in this series. And the second time in three years that we've had more than one. So, you know, we've had now some diversity in this series, uh, we just haven't seen maybe some of the guys uh, that we expected to win races. Will Power has yet to win a race. Uh, Scott Dixon has yet to win a race. They're both carrying long streaks of seasons with at least one victory. Uh, I think that's 18 and, and 20 seasons. They both have overall, no, 16 for 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 uh, Power. But those two haven't won a race. And as I said, we haven't seen a race win yet from the Errol McLaren camp. Which is Pato Award, who at this point had won a race last year. That's Felix Rosenquist and Alexander Rossi. So there's five big names that haven't won a race yet, and Colton Herta, yeah, and Colton Herta too. So you know, we we still expect you know a Roman Grosjean to come through with a race win at some point. Uh, to your point about F2 and and European drivers, Marcus Armstrong is making it very difficult yeah, yeah. for uh, for the argument that you shouldn't take one of those kind of guys with all their experience and, and miles that they have on a car or kilometers, if you will. Uh, but uh, we have seen some some really cool things. and And even one of the drivers that we saw in this particular race, we'll get to him maybe in a little bit, but Augustine Canapino has been far better than, than any of us could have expected. He finished his 12th in the Honda Indy Toronto over the weekend. And, you know, that's a good story. So we have had diversity. And you're right. The season feels like it's, it's just kind of getting ready to get, get interesting because there's still so many drivers that haven't won races. We've got a lot of ovals coming up for, uh, three of them in the last seven races all those short ovals. So we're going to see some different people in the mix. So pretty cool time of the year for certain. You know, one more thought on
0: the F2 uh, transition for drivers. That's another thing that makes it kind of challenging for the, the locals is that they've shown that these guys have talent and they might also bring budget. You know, that's where Marcus Armstrong is super attractive and maybe why Chip Ganassi is not as keen uh, and why he's open to, looking elsewhere because he's been able to find talented drivers that are attached to budget as well. Lungard, I don't believe, is in that camp. I don't believe, don't know, but I don't believe he brought anything with him. Uh, Ray Hall Letterman-Lanigan brought him over, saw how good he was, and they are fully budgeted. They hire all three drivers, and that's why he's here at at this point. Callum Eilat is the same thing. Callum didn't bring any budget. And and he's over here. Armstrong is a uh, team owner's dream. He's good. And he brought budget with him. I'm sure he'd like that to end sooner rather than later. But that's the scenario as it is. One more thought on Lungard is this is not just an out of nowhere type of weekend for him. This is at least the third weekend this year, along with the second place finish he had at IMS on the road course last year, where he's been close. He won the poll at Indy on the road course. So he was in play there. He was maybe not in a winning car in mid-Ohio, but when you start fifth and you run up front the whole race, so he's there. So this is not a shocker. He was one of those. I don't remember who we picked as the next first-time winner. It might have been a Grosjean. It might have been Kirkwood. But Lungard would have been on people's list. I think a lot of people would have said, yeah, I think Lungard. And the caveat was always – if Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan has their act together, if they make the progress that they think and hope they will, he'll be there. Now to the big picture for the team. It's been awful, as we've stated, but I don't know if we should be as surprised with that. I know Bobby is hugely disappointed and and you know May was a disaster. But when they make the kind of changes that they had, logic would say in the offseason, doing a different direction, bringing in someone from Formula One that's not been to an Car race. Isn't it logical to say, yeah, that it might get worse before it gets better? Maybe that's just what's happening.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And they've they've done some midseason shuffling now as well. So they've essentially had two um, adjustments since, you know. Really, the season ended last year. They've had two major uh, restructurings. Not so much maybe the second one being as noteworthy, uh, but the one just a few weeks ago involved a lot of people switching positions. You know, we don't have a scorecard to keep track of all the adjustments. And, and by the way, teams do this with some regularity between their own teams. They'll move people around. But this was admittedly pretty significant. And... And yet, you know, I was I was making reference to Christian being better this season than perhaps we've been willing to realize or acknowledge. Would you have believed that he was seventh in points at this point in the season? Uh he's ahead of a lot of uh drivers of of significance, guys like power, uh guys like uh you know uh you know, Colton Herta. I mean, these this pretty impressive uh, stretch for this this youngster, and he still hasn't turned 22 years old. That comes this weekend at Iowa Speedway when when he has his 22nd birthday. But you know, this was a really impressive drive in Toronto. Um, he led 54 of the 85 laps and posted the second largest winning margin of the season, behind only one of those that Alex Palou delivered. You know, there were some circumstances, certainly. We'll get into those shortly, but nearly a twelve second advantage at the finish line, you know, that was a that was a beatdown. Uh he wins from the pole. So it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't, you know, strategy flipped. We talked about you did the possibility at Toronto where the strategy could get flipped, where drivers in the back could get to the front and vice versa. And you wanted to make sure you were on the right uh, strategy. A couple of guys failed on that that regard uh, late in the race with uh, their pit stops. We can talk about that as well, but he didn't win this by fluke, uh, stepped up, delivered a great weekend, uh, delivered a really strong pace in the race, and won this pretty much going away. So pretty impressive from Lungard all around. And this is how he's
0: seventh in points. He was 10th before the weekend, 11th the weekend before that, but he has five finishes seventh or better. He's had a few way in the back and they've had some weekends where they felt pretty lost, Um, but he's got some results this season here. I don't know if the recent changes are the difference. They may help. It may just be more morale. You know, it's kind of the thing that, all right, we can't, here's what we can change and we can just shuffle the deck a, a little bit and move some people over to IMSA and elevate some people that we think are ready to have a bigger role. So your assistant engineer maybe becomes the engineer And things like that. Um, So I don't know if it's that, but maybe it's just kind of a mindset reset. And I wonder if people are going to more what Lungard has been doing. He's talked about this. So I had heard this a few months ago, and he's talked about it openly now. His program, Ben Siegel is his young engineer. They've been together for two years now. They have been less likely to really chase it all weekend. And Christian spoke about this, too, that, you know, I've driven a lot of different cars, as have these guys. But, you know, sometimes in the Formula One ladder, I had cars that were not great. And then I just had a lot of cars that were different. So I had to adapt. And while it's, he didn't say this, I'm saying this, while it's important for a driver to be meticulous and always wants more, there is a point where you just have to drive the thing. And I think I recall Dario Franchitti and Scott Dixon talking about that's how they helped each other. Dario was the guy that was always complaining, but that was a good thing because that helped get the car better. He learned from Dixon, hey, at some point, it is what it is. Let's just drive it and make the best of it. Montoya was always great at that. And I think that's what Lungard has been doing. And the other Graham, we hear his radio conversations. They're wonderful of of what i need and he wants the car a certain way and doing it for 16 years he knows what is a good car and they're always trying to find that but when you're always doing that maybe sometimes you take too big of a swing and it gets worse or it gets better but you're still not there yet and i think what lungard has done is just okay we'll get it in the window and then we'll make small changes And I'll keep getting better throughout the week and keep adjusting on it. And that's why he races pretty well. So I don't know if the others have merged to that philosophy or if that's just why he's been significantly better on pace than the other two.
1: Could be. Could be. Graham's always been a really good racer, obviously. He's had some tough luck. I mean, I I think... I'm not I'm not suggesting that that he's better than his his standing would suggest, because at this point, you are what you are in a season. But he's had some tough luck. I think about Texas where, you know, he's collected in in uh, in Devlin Francesco's accident. You know, yeah, but they weren't going anywhere. No, they weren't going there. anywhere. No, no That's <laughs> right. That's right. And uh, yeah. But you have a certain amount of just – it just doesn't – it just hasn't felt like there's been rhythm to the season, even when when he's had some good moments or, or decent qualifying. You can't quite get – you know, go to back to mid-Ohio, qualify qualifies well, and then just can't get – you know, yeah. just can't get the result that, that he he deserved. Uh, or or yeah, deserved is a strong word. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing is Jack Harvey's program just really been nowhere – um so they they've still got a lot of the fix but i think to your point about morale i think you know they they must feel tremendous they're waving the flag at, at the headquarters in zionsville with the 45 on it today and 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 they do that you know kind of like a cubs w flag so you know they they send the signal to those that uh that go past the road uh which by the way is right across the street for those that don't know and most probably don't know It's right across the street from Group 1001, which is the parent company of GameBridge, which is the sponsor of Colton Hurtis' program and the leader uh, from a financial standpoint of the Andretti Global effort to bring cars uh, to the Formula One grid. So the 45 is waving right across the street from the GameBridge headquarters, which hasn't won a race this season in IndyCar. So that has to make them feel good, too. Just a little extra boost, a little extra uh, spring in the step. So let's talk about how the race was won and the
0: different strategies. Maybe we'll first talk about what you alluded to, uh, the McLaughlin-Dixon decision. And a, a really good information on social media from McLaughlin, and especially his engineer, Ben Bretzman, we'll get to in just a moment. So let's let's think about things here. There was a caution uh, uh, that opened the pits on lap 44. Some chose to come in on that lap, knowing that... Eh, that's going to be really tough to make it home. You might need another caution. You you might be able to make it at that point, but you're, you're probably going to need another caution, but we're due to pit pretty soon, so we're going to roll the dice there. So there's that group. That group included Pillow and Scott Dixon and others, but those were two of them up front. It included Kyle Kirkwood as well, who maybe would have been in position to win the race if he doesn't, what a wild restart that was. And I've not heard anyone mention this. So you've seen the onboard of Kirkwood right before the restart coming through, like what turns 10 and 11 running into the back of Elio, the car in front of him passed Elio before the green. How maybe we missed that call. Maybe that there was give that spot back and, and maybe maybe, so we heard the radio for Kirkwood saying green, green, green. Maybe he was late on that call, but that uh, McLaren car, I'd have to look and see, was that, I don't know if that was Pato or Rosenquist, or maybe it was Rossi down a full lap, and maybe that's why nobody cared, because he was, uh, that might be it. I, I don't know. It was one of McLaren cars, you know, from that angle, they all look alike. But that was one aside there. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, but Kirkwood might have been in a position, he gets penalized. So you got those coming on at 44. Then you've got that yellow with Kirkwood and Elio. So you get a do-over, and we thought the rest of the field would come in when the pits opened on 49, and that included the eventual race winner, Christian Lungard. It included Will Power and Marcus Erickson, and did not include Scott McLaughlin and Scott Dixon. And the booth was very confused about that and kept asking me about it, and I said, hey – I didn't make the call, but here's what their options are at this point. So it seemed baffling. Now, even in the moment, I thought, well, and Hinch or someone said this, you know what? If you made the same decision that Mike Hull made, you might not feel too bad about that. And I would say the same about Kyle Moyer as well. So while it seemed like it was a miss, now in retrospect, we see two cars that also pitted on 49 didn't make it to the end. In Marcus Erickson and Will Power, I think there was something else going on there. Power, I'm not sure, heard the fuel number Um, he was talking about. I wish you would have told me earlier on his radio before I talked to him. He was pretty calm in the interview we did. Marcus made reference to an issue in his quote. So I don't know if they didn't get all the fuel in or what happened there. I didn't hear any conversation on his radio about you need to save hard. You need to save hard. But that's kind of the scenario. So I don't know that I would say that they horribly missed. And here's what Ben Bretzman, the engineer for McLaughlin, said without getting into details that can't be discussed. Once the 2706 caution came out, it was going to be super tough for us to make it as seen by others. Potential if we pit under yellow equals fifth, while potential for pitting under green equals fourth. Ultimately came sixth. Good recovery.
1: Well, uh, there's probably a lot in that. Uh, it, I think the power issue was, Will Power's issue was not so much that he didn't know the number. I think he was just charging. Uh, you know, he had a chance, it seemed, to to go from wherever he was, like sixth all the way, possibly to get to third. And I think he was really pressuring the other guys and in attack mode. And, and that likely was his issue. But, you know, I think... I don't know. It just seemed like it seemed like McLaughlin and and Power just missed it. I know there was some some confusion in the booth and and um, it didn't really make a lot. I mean, I mean McLaughlin and Dixon. Yeah, yeah. It um, it seemed like if if the leader comes, you probably should come with him.
0: Yeah, but I, I get what they're saying from their standpoint. I don't think it was as simple as we were making it out to be. That you have to come and. We're also talking about the difference between, so that's a Honda and a Chevy. The winner who had no problem on fuel was a Honda in Lungard. Uh, so it's possible that the Hondas in this scenario were getting a little better mileage than the Chevy. They've seemed very equal all year, whether it's Honda or Chevy in, in fuel mileage. Maybe I'm forgetting something in that regard. But there's sometimes a little bit more to it, Um But that's just kind of their side of the story. And I get it. I know Scott was, I sense Scott was frustrated. So I got a couple of questions on why didn't we talk to Scott after the race? I would say one is just that's part of what happens when you only have two pit reporters instead of three. So I'm doing victory lane, Dylan grabbed uh, whoever he had below, which is the next biggest story. And as soon as I went finished Victory Lane, I went to look for Dixon. I went to his car, and he's nowhere to be found. And I'm told he exited stage left pretty quickly. However, I guarantee if one of Dylan or I would have been there, he would not have blown us off. He would have stayed, and he would have done the interview. But that's a perfect excuse for an athlete. I'm out of the car. There ain't nobody here. Uh, Okay, I'm gone. So that's kind of how that works. And we just don't have the manpower to go chase him down in the paddock because we would have been off the air by the time that happened. While we're on that point, I also saw a tweet to Townsend and his, I I love his Q and A's getting into things while he's waiting for the airplane to take off. Why didn't we talk to Grosjean? I could take the blame for that. So I was asked, do you think we should chase Grosjean back there? And I said, I don't know. Uh, You know, the last time I did that Detroit. I spent 20 minutes asked his people. I asked his people twice. He declined, saw him again after the race personally, and he declined. So I said, we've only got two people out here. We're getting ready to do pit stops. There's a lot going on. Is it worth it to chase him back there when it's probably 50-50 if he's going to talk? And I don't know how much we're going to get out of it. And is it just kind of like kicking the puppy dog too? Hey, Roman, you crashed again. How you feel? Well, we know <laughs> how it feels. Um, you know it's it's going really bad right now, and I don't know if he's coming back. I asked him before the race. Let I me mean, let me look up the quote he gave me. Said, "Is there any resolution? Is there is there anything we can say about your contract? You got anything done here recently?" And he said, "Nothing to say now." And they said, so that means maybe there's a chance you've got a contract and you just can't announce it. And it was, you know, it wasn't one of those winks and a smile. It was just, there's nothing I can say now. So it could be. So from his perspective, if you're a Grosjean fan, I think you better hope they've already done a deal. Well, and, I don't it sounds to me, and it sounds to me like um, something has been resolved. When he says nothing to say now, tells me that there is a direction and they're just not ready to announce it. That's kind of that's what I took from the follow-up question of that. It's possible I'm misunderstanding that and it's just saying no and there's no progress on that. Um, but that's a different answer than I often get. So the other side of that is yes, he could have been signed to an extension and they want to announce it at a certain time, or it could be he's been told, Yeah, we've uh, agreed to terms with Marcus Erickson and David Malukas, and we don't have any room, so we're just, you know letting you know that if you want to stay in IndyCar, you should probably move on to other things. If that scenario is happening, I suspect the announcement that he will be making is that I am going to work full-time for Lamborghini as their prototype driver. He's already in that program, and they were going to try to make w- both work together, or, or he would look to see what other options there are in IndyCar. But to the original point, if you, from Roman's standpoint, I hope they've already got a contract done because I think he's great for the sport. I like him. I think he's fast. I think he can win. But if you're breaking it down and saying, here are the options out here, here are the salaries that are likely required, and here are the results, and here's the crash damage, I'm finding it hard to say he's my pick.
1: Agreed. It's been a it's been a really tough stretch, and I didn't really get a sense for what happened in that accident. I've not seen the quotes. He said the he said the wheel slipped out of his hands, which is is understandable. There, this is the place where that can happen. It did it not happen to New Garden a long time ago? Um, it seems like maybe that was coming out of uh, the last corner for New Garden, and he when yeah, he slapped the wall as the leader, and Dixon got by, and when the went on to win the race. It seems like, and and I think that was at that is at turn ten. I get my turns mixed up at at uh, Toronto, but uh, there's a there's kind of a, a manhole cover right there, a dip in that's the 10. road. Yeah, yeah,
0: that little kink back to the right, and then Correct. eleven is the last left hander onto the short front or on, onto onto the front stretch.
1: So that 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 is plausible that that's what happened. It it uh, if it did, it was uh, you know really unfortunate for him. Uh, the other thing I would say, uh, I'm not out right here in this in this uh forum defending the pit reporters but I will tell the audience from a from a logistic standpoint it's pretty good hike back to the to the uh inside pit lane or uh uh inside paddock uh, it's race inside, might have been over by the time we got back yeah you you would have uh, had a long not a, it's not a long walk necessarily but it's not a it's not a convenient paddock uh, to go chasing someone down. And and I think your 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 hunch was right that if you would have got him, it wouldn't have been much more than the obvious. Uh, he had a difficult day and yes, it's happened again. And what do you want me to say? So I think that's what you'd yeah. have gotten for, for quite the effort.
0: I don't know what the answer, because some would say, well, your job is to do good television. You're not thinking about hurting people's feelings because it could have been good television. That's where you get you know, the willpower type of age when people are a little bit peeved, but he's not going to be mad at anyone else. He's just going to be mad at himself. So that's kind of how that played in. Um, and the other thing I saw most notable on Townsend's Q&A was the audio. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know it just depends on what you're watching. So I watched uh, the start of the race on my, smaller TV down in my little gym in the basement yesterday, and it was not good. You know, the car sounds were, I could hear us and I could understand us, but it was an effort. So I think that was the mix on that particular type of TV that a lot of people are talking about. Then I went up and finished the race on my bigger TV, which has a little Roku soundbar down there. And I've not messed with any any settings. It just is what it is. And it sounded great. It sounded like it always does on television. So it needs to be figured out, but I'm told it's a lot harder than that because everybody's setup is different. I, I know they know of this, and I'm sure they'll know of it more. It seems to be more prevalent on Peacock than it is on television. But we've heard those kind of things before that, you know, once it gets back to off of NBC on to the local stations, that they might have a different mix set up. That was kind of the thing we noticed in the past, that it was always really good on NBCSN, but you'd hear more complaints on NBC because it's going through a local affiliate. So I wish I had an answer. I tell you this, they are aware of it, uh, but it's not as simple as just fixing it because it's perfect on some setups. We need to figure out a way to make it perfect on all setups. So they are efforting.
1: I'm actually glad you brought that up because I thought to myself – Boy, my hearing must be problematic today because some days, you know, barometric pressure and, you know, the smoke that is that fills North America these days. And it's getting my hearing now, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I cannot hear this thing. It was the first yeah. part of the race. And, and I really noticed it more in the qualifying show where you had, uh, when, when the cars hit the brake period, uh, you know, I could you know, I could get the sound off the television much better, you know, and then as I moved, moved around a little bit, it was, you could improve it to some degree, but when the cars are running, it sometimes is a difficult thing. It does depend on whether you're listening to a local affiliate versus listening to Peacock and, and, um, so anyway, I, we haven't talked about that you and I in a while, and I kind of forgotten that that uh, there's there's some there's some reasons behind these things. So actually, this probably turned out to be a, a good topic for for the fan base, which probably has the same questions. And we try to you know delve into the things that are important to you as viewers and consumers and race fans as well. So so probably a good thing to discuss.
0: All right, we've got some news to get into, including what's going to be happening. Uh, in the number 60 car, we'll get into that and plenty more all
3: coming up. Trackside, 93.5, 5, The Fan. Hi. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Simon Pagino, and
0: you're listening to Trackside. Trackside continues, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis, and other parts uh, this week. We know Eddie Garrison is in our studios in downtown Indianapolis. Kevin Lee and Kurt Cavan. Still recapping what happened in Toronto and also getting set for the High V IndyCar weekend. We'll talk more about coming up at Iowa. Doubleheader back on NBC. Good lead in with the British Open coming up this weekend, Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Peacock as well, but back on NBC this weekend. And, and Kurt, I'm going to let you kind of take over as I'm multitasking. Uh, but I think the next topic that we want to get to is, uh, unfortunately, we will not see Simon Pagino. Again, this weekend, as I think we all kind of feared with the next event coming up, going in a little bitty circle.
1: So if you're just joining us, you get uh, Connor Daly for these two races in Iowa. Not a surprise. We've talked about that. Uh, Connor's Connor's excellence on the short ovals has uh, been well documented, although I went back and looked at it. It was more a case of him running well at Gateway as opposed Mm -hmm. to Iowa. He qualifies well at Iowa he hasn't had the results at Iowa Speedway that doesn't mean he, he won't do well but uh it'll be interesting because obviously he runs pretty well at Iowa and so does the driver who's going to be in the car he was in most of the season that's Ryan Hunter-Ray in the 20 car of Ed Carpenter Racing so both those guys you know have have short oval excellence and experience but as for Simon um you know, it's just—it's probably just the right call. Um, this is going to be, you know, 500 laps over two days at a place where you're just zipping around in 18 seconds. You know, it's just a quick little place. If you've had a had a knock to the noggin and shook up your head a little bit in that crash at, at Mid Ohio, which you know Michael Shank made reference to, so it's it's not exactly spilling the. The bad news. I mean, it, you know, he certainly got got flipped around a little bit there. Um, you know, it, I think it's just wise. It's just wise to take a breath and and let this settle. He's not in the points championship in terms of a you know a, a driver championship. So just just do what's best for Simon. I think this is a good call.
0: And it makes sense for Connor because, as you mentioned, he's been solid there before. He has a pole, and while his best finish, I don't have it in front of me, maybe something like eighth. I think that was when he was with Carlin. So, you know, he was out kicking his coverage. Uh, So he's good there and good for him that he gets two more races to kind of show what he can do and remind people for an opportunity. And for Shank, and Michael referenced this, if not in the release, definitely in the story I saw on IndyStar.com from Nathan Brown, they need to score points. Uh, He's very much thinking about the leader circle and they're right on the brink with their cars i did a cut and paste i have that somewhere here in my notes is where the leader circle points are right now so it's really you need to be i think because it's not stated anywhere but i think you need to be in the top 23 we think it's top 22 but the number 11 car is not eligible because you're only allowed three entries per team, unless you were grandfathered in like Andretti. Uh, So as it stands now, Meyer Shanks number 60 is 24th, eight points behind the number 29. I think the number 29 is on the bubble. And then two more points to the Hunkos Hollinger 78 of Augustine Canapino. And, the 06 of elio Neves. so those are the ones kind of in peril and even the number 20 of ed carpenter racing is not fully safe so in, in that group there they're all pretty close and then you go up to the dale coin 18 they have already 23 more points than the 29 car for a little cushion and i guess you'd say more it's 31 points over the one that's on the outside looking in so that's why that's important and and Maybe you could make an argument because I I don't suspect, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't suspect is has been high on the list for if they decide to make a second change for next year that they're thinking otherwise, but maybe that can change their mind this weekend. But if they were thinking about trying out someone else, it might be decent long term, but they need to score some points. So that's why Connor I think, was a pretty easy decision.
1: It it is, but you talked about the difference, like twenty and thirty points to gain, you know, to gain a lot of positions there and get yourself really safe. When you have a twenty eight car field, the difference between finishing fourteenth and finishing, let's say, in the bottom five or six spots, is only like eight or nine points. So, you you know, it's going to be difficult, uh, maybe, to get very much very high up on the list. But I think when you look at Connor, if you look at head-to-head, Connor versus Devlin, or Connor versus uh, Canapino, or you know, I think I think you'd have to put uh, Connor in the driver's seat there. You know, we think about Meyer Shank Racing having this association with Andretti, and Andretti used to be really, really strong at at Iowa. That's not been the case in recent years. So we'll have to see how Meyer Shank performs. Uh, but, you know, more lately, it's been a team Penske and and last year, Errol McLaren with Pato Award, you know, won a race and and ran really well in the second race or in the other race. So Andretti hasn't been as strong as they were in the past. But hopefully, Connor, you know, from Meyer-Shank's standpoint, at least, can, can make a dent on Canapino and Devlin in particular.
0: I've seen some internet chatter uh, with, I think, legit concern, but also just questions, hoping that. Simon's head issues is not something like what Kurt Busch had that kept him. Well, it has still kept him out of the car and he's still not cleared to return and essentially reinforced his retirement, although I don't know that he's used that word. I think if he starts feeling better, we might see Kurt Busch again at some point. And, and while that's all kind of privileged information and I don't know, I guess I would say this. I don't sense that it's obviously concerning um, Anytime you have to miss two consecutive events three really if you include that weekend you're worried but i remember hearing off the record things at the time about kurt bush and it you know it was a little bit scary we his friends all knew that it was um a big big deal i honestly have not heard that concerning simon That, that doesn't mean it's not true it might not be shared but i know simon's been talking with people uh so i am what well, little I know, I would say I am optimistic that that's not the case, that this is just being smart. This is something 20 years ago he would have been in the car, and now people are getting smarter about this and erring on the side of caution. So no real inside information there, but my basic sense is I, I don't think at this point that it's anything like that, but you never know. I remember an NBA player, Austin Crozier, having what seemed like a minor concussion one time and this was before you made a big deal out of that and i think austin missed like three weeks he was a pacers player um and missed a long time and just because it was weird and all things heal differently especially when you're talking about the brain and then after he came back he was all fine and had a very very long career a real quick touch on tom blumquist um i think all things considered you know unfortunately he didn't get to race and was crashed out at the beginning um, but all things considered, Tom Blomquist did well. Uh,
1: agreed. Uh, qualified, you know, reasonably well. Uh, passed, you know, in terms of lap time, was ahead of several drivers. I know the qualifying uh, format was a bit wonky given the weather, but hey, Tom got a shot. He at least got to experience the car. He knows what the race weekend cadence feels like, and he's better off for being in the car as he approaches twenty twenty four.
0: All right, uh, we'll tease what's coming up in hour number two and more next
3: on Trackside. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
0: is Alex Palau, and you're listening to Truckside. Wrapping up hour number one, as always. We're a little bit behind because we went really long in segment number one. Uh, hour number two has some really good stuff coming up. Uh, we'll talk about what I learned, what I think I learned, what I might have learned over the weekend at Toronto, talk more about what's coming up. At Iowa Speedway with the High V doubleheader weekend on NBC and here on the radio Saturday and Sunday afternoon with IndyCar Radio as well. We've got some cool stats. Chad200 has really uh, dug into things about how dominant Newgarden and Penske has been. Silly season update, uh, schedule questions. Twitter at Kevin Lee23, at Kurt Cavan, and all more coming up. Trackside 935 1075. The fan. Hi.
1: This is Colton Herda, and you're listening to Trackside on 935 and 1075, the Fan.
0: It's hour number two. It's trackside, 935-1075, the fan in Indianapolis as we get set for the high V IndyCar Weekend at Iowa Speedway, short track racing. Times two. Kurt, times this weekend. Uh they're different times. Isn't maybe Saturday at three and Sunday at two?
1: Are those Eastern times? Uh, That is Eastern times and you should know because, uh, I mean, it is important for you to know, I guess I put it that way. They'll tell me when to start talking. Well, I understand that, (laughs) but uh, you're going to have to talk quick on Saturday because green flag will be six minutes into the broadcast. So, so be ready on Saturday to, uh, to defer to go, go, go. And on Sunday, there's more of a pre-race show on the broadcast. Radio will have plenty of time to get started. I think they start Saturday a half hour before and and then Sunday come live right at uh, at uh, same time at three o'clock. But, yeah, two o'clock on Saturday, three o'clock on S- Sunday. No, just the opposite. Three o'clock on Sunday. At, you know what I meant. Um, now okay. I now I want you to say what it is, because I want to know. So what, t- what times are the races? Three o'clock on Saturday, two o'clock on Sunday. That's so what I go. said to start. I know. I just messed it up. That's all. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that's good. That means we have time in the pre-race. So, we'll, uh, Ed Sheeran, the pressure is on him. He needs to be as creative if I talk to him as Flavor Flav was. So, oh, we're yeah. going to need Ed, Ed Sheeran to bring his A game. Oh, just a thought. You know, I I teased the hate cauldron for Toronto, and it was considered – but I'm not sure if there is enough hate flowing over the weekend. So, uh, you know, I think we want to be genuine and not just make stuff up. So it didn't really seem to fit. So if we feel a need for that, again, you may see it even on a non-peacock broadcast. But you know, I feel like everyone's getting along right now, mostly. Uh, until you start seeing drivers signed away from one team to another. Uh, and then if we have a few more crashes on a short oval, then, you know, maybe the hate cauldron
1: starts to flow just a little bit more. All right, I'm going to turn it over to you. What do you want to talk about next? Well, I think we should spend a little time on Alex Pillow. We didn't spend a lot of time yep. on that uh, in the first hour. And I think the way he came back from from that contact, as I'm still a little shaky on whether that was lap 45 or 46 or where what what the actual number was. But the point is he uh, there was contact between Kirkwood into the back of Elio Castroneves, and then... Polo tries to take evasive action gets far to the right makes pretty light contact I think you would describe it I mean I, I guess anytime you have wall contact it's not light but it certainly wasn't a a bang to the point that I thought the car was torn up he probably had to you know work work the work the wheel a little bit to make sure that things were straight as they should be but You know there was enough front wing damage that you could see it was starting to kind of move around a little bit i'm just shocked shocked is i think the word that as that right front part of the of the front wing was bouncing around i can't believe that on an on uneven street circuit with manhole covers and curbing and just the ebb and flow of the street circuit I can't and the, and the camber. Although the camber in turn three was leaning the car more to the left, which would get, you know, didn't affect the right front damaged wing. I can't believe that that didn't break off. I can't believe it didn't take contact with the street in some form, but it held together. And that I mean, we're not going to go so far as to say that that secured his championship by any stretch, but it certainly kept him in a very comfortable position. In fact. He increased his points lead by finishing second when his nearest challenger finished fourth, so another you know seventeen points to the lead uh, for Pelot, But but really a great weekend for not winning the race. I think what he
0: did, and he's the first to admit that there is luck involved in racing. So all things considered, I think what he did. My hotel phone is ringing, so I guess I'll just have to call them back. (laughs) Uh, What he did was just as impressive as the wins that he has had at this point. Um, And that could have started to make the championship interesting, especially coming into Iowa, which has been pointed out that, you know what, Iowa has become the most important race on the schedule. It's the only double points event, right? India right. is not double points. The season finale is not double points. And while you get two chances at it, you get one qualifying. So the car is going to be what it is. Yes, you might go faster on lap two or slower on lap two. So it's not the same spot. But you probably have, if you've been lost, then you're going to still be lost on lap two. And if you have a crash uh, and come back on day two, you know, the car is not likely to there's a decent chance it's not going to be great or if the car is horrible in race one decent chance it's going to be horrible in race two and vice versa by the way i think for sunday they've extended more than just kind of an install app there is going to be a 10 minute session if anyone wants it that's had a crash or if your just car was awful and you feel like you need some improvement so 10 minutes that i'm sure some will say no we're good and those that needed repairs or were awful can take advantage of, but that was big for Pelot because he had two things working against him: the wing that he just said should have fallen off, and he had massive fuel save, and and the fact that he went five laps further than two behind him, Will Power and Marcus Ericsson, um, says something about his skill set. You know, I still haven't talked. I talked to Will, uh, as we talked about in the last hour. I still got the sense that he wasn't fully aware of how much he needed to save yes he was trying to pass and that's why i thought he will ultimately get to second um and then i'm not sure what happened with marcus uh what the issue was in that circumstance but pelo's just on a different level and if he does not have difficulty this weekend you know if he averages say a fifth place finish then yes you, you're not going to be able to spin it. <laughs> but he's got to get through this weekend and that's why the championship is not fully over at this point.
1: Yeah, if 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 let's just say he averaged um fourth place, fifth place, something like that, that gets him 60 points for the weekend. If the same driver, let's say Dixon or Newgarden were to to win it both races, uh, you know, they could gain as much as 40 points. Well, he's got a 117 point lead. I mean, it would take that's the kind of the kind of uh, aggression that it's going to take from his competitors and and we're talking about again it's going to have to be Newgardner Dixon which could possibly happen let's don't discount that but Dixon hasn't won at Iowa and Newgarden while uh certainly is capable of winning both races as he has you know on on other occasions or at least been right there he also knows that anything can happen just like the crash he had in race 2 last year so Yep. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot, and and Pelot just have a good, quiet, solid weekend, and he'll be in terrific shape. If you came out of this with a 60, 65-point lead, you'd still feel really good about your chances. So,
0: Yeah, I guess if it's down to that, if it's down to that, we're going to feel like it potentially is game on because a lot of things can happen. But I, I think if it's over hundred. You know, it's got to be a combination. Somebody up front needs to dominate the weekend for the championship and, and really needs to be the same person. Somebody probably needs to sweep both races. And it doesn't have to be second. I don't have the championship in front of me, but what second through 10th are separated by about, what, 70 points. <laughs> so it, it's wide open there in that race for best in class right now.
1: So, what do you make of uh, silly season? In fact, by the way, I'll, I'll just tell you. I have Joey Barnes on from IndyCar.com, and and one of the things I hope to ask him about is is like where does he think you know the Andretti lineup stands for twenty twenty four, and what where does the Ganassi lineup stand for twenty twenty four? Did you learn anything uh, as you poked around and hung out with your NBC fellas? Uh, did you learn anything relative to the to the silly season?
0: I would say I learned some things, but I don't know that I know anything, if that makes sense. Well, and I silly don't season know, for you. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think anyone knows anything because it's still waiting on Alex Pillow and the scenarios there. I had one team owner say, I hear that he might stay at Ganassi. I know others have reported there's no way that Ganassi has already made him that next offer, and he's turned it down, uh, and he's going to McLaren, but you know, my opinion is he has the right to change his mind. I would think if the contract is what has been reported that he's not allowed to do anything until September. So if he's not allowed to do anything, then he can change his mind. And if the numbers are the same money-wise, if Chip Ganassi Racing decides, you know what, we just cannot let him go, whatever McLaren is, doing. We're matching it plus 15%. And then Alex Palo might say, this is going pretty well here. And that other team over there hasn't won yet. And there's no guarantee that I'm going to be as good. Now, I still think if he's not in Formula One, which I doubt he will be, I I think it's going to be hard to find an opportunity. We discussed the Alf-Torre situation is still potentially in play. And, you know, is Williams going to give up on Logan Sargent? Who knows? I, I think that's still a long shot. I think he still ends up at McLaren, but I cannot guarantee that. And one of the reasons why I think he ends up at McLaren is he wants to still keep the Formula One option alive for maybe 25, and being with McLaren helps that cause, because he would be in a Formula One car for another free practice, one or two at the end of the season, last year's car testing and things like that. He would have more chances to show people that he – would be a worthy candidate for that and then after that you know i told you what i wondered about romag rojan i still think marcus Eriksson is going to end up there and i think that opens up some things uh for them in their fourth car option that it doesn't have to be Grosjean. could that be david malucas could it be callum eilat ricardo Junco's did confirm to me that he has the option he says he has the option on callum eilat uh and has not decided whether he's bringing his drivers back next season part of it. And especially I think on Canapino would be based on finances. I I think he's quite happy with Canapino and if visit Argentina is involved next year. And if there's a race in Argentina, which is very TBD, uh, they are open to an exhibition race. There is not room on the calendar for next year from where it needs to be from what needs to be at that track for it to be a points race. I hope I explained that correctly. There's no way to make it a points race, as I understand it, with the options considered in 24. An exhibition is a possibility, and locals are open to that. I think it comes down to money. Are they offering enough money to make it worthwhile for IndyCar and the teams to go over there for an exhibition race? So that's TBD. But if that happens, and Visit Argentina is back, I have to believe Canapino is back, and I think they're still... Assessing on Callum. Uh, He's not beating his teammate by a ton at this point. So, and, and, you know, I think sometimes Callum's honesty with what's going wrong might have worked. It's so hard to do as a driver because you want to explain things and you want to, you know, say, hey, it's not just that I'm slow. There are other things going on, but it's delicate because it doesn't want to be perceived like you're throwing the team on the bus. Under the bus all the time, and I suspect at times that he's been a little bit too blunt and honest with his comments. Uh, someone else, I think, can still make an offer for Calamin. My guess is that Hunkos would consider taking them up on that option, and I think there will be people that are interested in him. Um, who else? You know, I think there is potentially some interest in Devlin D. Francesco. There's budget there if David Malukas is moving on then, you know, I wonder if Dale Coyne would be interested. And I think that would be a good spot for Devlin De Francesco. He's really good with young drivers in that sense. Um, Dale Coyne did tell me in Townsend that they had a nice talk with Henry Malucas. And you know, despite what David said, they're not closing that conversation. You know, until David has signed with someone else and knows what his best option is, they might revisit that. You know, I'm sure David is interested in going to Ganassi. That'll be up to his dad, whether he wants to fund that or not. Um, I think he would be a contender for Andretti, and there could still be a commercial situation involved there. Oh, the other thing I would say, too, is about Ganassi. There's more conversation that uh, it's believed, and I've not asked the driver this yet, so I can't verify it but that Kiffin Simpson would like to move up to IndyCar next year. He, by the way, won an ELMS LMP2 race this weekend, and he's been going better in Indy IndyNext of recent times, but he's still only 18 years old, and that's a bit debatable whether he's ready or not. But if you're Kiffin Simpson and his camp, you're probably thinking, hey, those cars are really good and better than everyone else's. We've got the budget for it. A lot of that Ganassi sponsorship is attached to Kiffin Simpson's father with the whole team. It's not just his ride. Uh, So I think if they say he wants to be in a car, he's going to be in a car if they point to that strongly for next season.
1: The other one I've got my eye on, I haven't talked to, to Linus Lundquist here in a, you know, well, probably month, two months, trying to think when the last time Indy probably Um, I think there's going to be some real interest across his platforms. And I saw, uh, at least one story over the last few days i believe that was racer.com it was uh, and you know he thinks he's going to be in a in a car in one of these races to end the season yep. it would seem to me that i mean if i were leaning i i think it has to be carpenter or ray hall your thoughts
0: yeah i think so um i'm really worried for jack harvey uh it's not all jack's fault but it is a bottom line business and there are just no results there at all there's a lot of bad luck i agree with his quote so if if he he was involved in the crash at the start of the race i don't know if it was really publicized because he's already out of the race but i heard on the scanner that he was assessed i don't remember what the wording was but he was deemed responsible uh what i heard over the scanner was race control saying that the 30 car has been called for avoidable contacts, penalty TBD, meaning he's out of the race. We don't know what we're doing. you know maybe they move him behind the other people. Um, now, Jack's quote essentially was, I was slightly ahead of them. I'm on the inside. Someone else went three wide on the outside. I don't know how that's my fault. And I think I might agree with him. I'm not going to say he doesn't share some blame on there. But my first thought was, that's just a big kerfuffle, and I don't know that you can penalize one driver over the other for that. But, you know, he's had some bad luck. Um, the team has not had great pace much of the time other than Lungard. But when it doesn't go well for a while, that's likely where a change is coming. So, unfortunately, that would not shock me. Uh, I've seen Lungard with the team. He's tested with the team. So that would make some sense. And then you're right, the, the Carpenter situation – Maybe Ryan hunter Ray says, eh, I've had enough (laughs) and I don't want to finish the season. The team may just simply say, this is who we want long-term and we think we need to get him now because there might be some other teams that are interested in him. Um, And he may have wanted to float it out there that, that a team is close to wrapping up a contract to let it be known, hey, if you want my services, you'd better offer me more than the final two races of the season because I got somebody I'm talking to right now. So let's hear your next best offer. It's the reason why agents always leak free agent deals because they want to see if anybody else will beat it before they actually sign or teams will leak trade options in other sports. Hey, can you beat it? This is what our best offer is right now.
1: You, you know, as I was just looking through the the box score and as we're talking about, you know, Andretti's lineup and Ganassi's lineup, You didn't say it, and as I was penciling in things to talk about with Joey Barnes here in in the next segment, uh, I didn't write down Felix Rosenquist, and I didn't hear you say Felix Rosenquist either. Do you have any sense? I mean, where does he end up? He's going to be somewhere, I believe.
0: Uh, If he wants to really risk things on Palo leaving, he could still be in the same seat that he's in, but I doubt that he wants to wait that long. Unless he gets really good indications from someone, which, by the way, he could because he's managed by Stefan Johansson, who manages yeah. Scott Dixon. So if if it's true what people are saying, which I don't know that it is or not, but if Palo has decided he's going to stay, I think Rosenquist will find out about that. Uh, and and I think Palo potentially might let people know on the inside to help out Felix on that regard. Yeah. Um, I could see him at Ray Hall. I could see him at Ed Carpenter. I could see him at Andretti. I could see him at Meyer Shank Racing. It's a real shame that Simon Pagenaud is not getting all of these events to show the progress that they may or may not have been making, and that's going to make the decision for that team even more difficult. I think it's very clear that Tom Blomqvist is in Elio's seat, and Elio has already started. I mentioned this during Peacock. You know, I think we're seeing with him coaching up Tom Blomquist, what his role is going to be in the future. I think he's going to do the Indy 500. I think he's going to be in the Tony Canaan, Dario Franchitti role, and also as an ambassador, and maybe doing a lot of sports car racing for the Shank team as well. Uh, But I I feel it's very, very likely Rosenquist has a
1: seat next year. Yeah, I do too. What do you think of the – I'm going to switch off Silly Season if – if unless you had something else to add. What do nope, you think of ahead. uh what do you think of the Toronto? I thought everything I saw looked uh looks like, you know, they've they've certainly put all the seats, uh people in seats. Uh I don't know that it's beyond that. I mean, you don't really have a lot of extra people just kind of hanging around, you know, and sitting on mounds the way you might at Mid Ohio or Road America. So you know, in that respect, those places it's tougher to tell. What was your takeaway from the vibe and, and you know, as we look long-term and possible extensions at returning to Exhibition Place, what do you think of Toronto? Good vibe, good crowd. The great thing about street races is you can always add on. You build grandstands
0: as needed, and it looks great because they were all full. And you're right, there's not a ton of places that you can go. Uh, there's better options, though, than there are at some street places where you can stand around and the cars through turn 10 – Turn 11, you're right there against the wall. In fact, I would not advise being right there against the wall because shrapnel could get through those fences. So I'd stand back 10 or 15 feet, but you can get right up against the wall there. It has a good feeling, and I, I believe the event has a good future. I talked with Kim Green and Kevin Savory a little bit, and Sunday morning I said, hey, I heard something about maybe an extension being announced, and Kim said, no, 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 we can't do that yet. Um, we've got to work on some dates with World Cup in twenty-six. Because that little soccer stadium there, not little, it's actually a big stadium, uh, is going to be one of the host sites because World Cup, and I know nothing about World Cup or soccer, but it's essentially a North American event that year. And it's all over North America, Canada, U.S. and Mexico. So. Uh, before they can really firm anything up, they need to kind of know what dates are available and just make sure that's not going to be in their preferred date in July. But all signs point towards this event uh,
1: continuing for the future, which is great. As we flip towards Iowa this weekend, um, Newgarden has been exceptionally strong. As we've talked about nearly a sweep of all the oval races over the last calendar year. Uh, Pato Award was good last year uh, is there anybody else that, you know, that, that, that comes to mind that you think are, you know, got to have a good weekend, got to have, you know, either for the championship or just, we should expect something good for them. Cause I'm, I'm having trouble beyond, beyond Newgarden. I think he's, you know, and maybe McLaughlin, I don't know, but one of the power powers had some success there, but you know, besides the Penske boys, it's been pretty tough sledding for most everybody else over the last few years. So here's some of the Chad 200
0: stats. Um, let's see. Dixon in power, 32 starts, 9 poles, 17 top fives. No wins there. Palo, a Rossi combined, 0 top fives, 4 laps led. Newgarden's last 9 finishes, 2nd, 2nd, 1st, 6th, 4th, 1st, 5th, 1st, 1st, and then 24th, he crashed with uh, while leading. In the last 9 races, he's led 1,506 laps, Next is Elio with 267, then Power 202, then Pagino 98. So it is has been all team Penske. It's why they didn't bother testing. Um, and even the tire that people tested is not the tire that they're racing on in most cases. Maybe they got one set of, of this year's Iowa tire. Uh, I wanted to sneak a couple of tweets in before we finish this segment and we get to your guest coming up from Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, craziest stat. Marcus Armstrong is currently 16 points on a part-time schedule to scored more points than nine full-time drivers. Uh, how good is this kid? Yes, he's really good. Mentions Alex is the driver of the day, finishing second. Um, I know there was one question that I wanted to specifically get to. How would you rate Pillow this season from the perspective of the most dominating season in IndyCar
1: history? That's from Jeff Chernesky. What do you think? Well, I looked it up. Uh, he has 417 points with no double points. Yes, there were some points at Indy for qualifying, but with no double points, he has on average of about 50 more points than what the last basically 20 22 drivers have had. Leaders have had at this point in the season. He has just. Been, I mean, I'm looking. I'm running out of ways to compare how great this has been. That's how good he's yep. been. Matt Keller says, I feel like stirring the IndyCar
0: cauldron a bit. If they approve the Andretti Formula One entry, uh, and aside, I saw one report on the internet said it was looking good from one aspect, but I, I'll kind of believe that when I see it. But Matt says, if they approve that entry, maybe Palo goes to Andretti for a year or two and then to their F1 program. Um, I'd be surprised. So I think hurt is going to be one if they get it. I'd be surprised if they want two newbies. I got to think they're going to want someone, probably someone uh, that's been on a lesser team, hoping that they can entice them to move, thinking this would be a better program, or it's someone that's, you know, fallen out of favor. Nick DeVries, someone that has Formula One experience, didn't get a fair shake, and they give them another opportunity. I wouldn't think they want two brand new to Formula One, but it's worth thinking about, and it's something to consider. If they're hiring... At Andretti, I got to believe they've made a call to Pillow as well.
1: Yeah, we we haven't even broached that subject, but I think that's a good one. So,
0: yeah, they could well, just create a super team over there. Paul says, taking nothing away from Lungar, but how did so many teams get their fuel strategy wrong on a circuit in Toronto that's so familiar to the teams who have so much data about the circuit from previous years?
1: Good yeah, question. I, yeah. I can't answer that one. All I know is that, um, Sometimes the pit window, I mean not the pit window but the caution period screws people up. And and you just get it wrong, you know, you just come at the wrong time and you try to base your uh, pit stop based on on that caution period and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how this Tyler Wong
0: ass what do you think the 24 IndyCar schedule will be like next year with another 2 week break for the Olympics in Paris? And that leads me to I got tagged on some tweets because Adam Stern referenced what I talked about last week and Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal says that IndyCar is in discussions with Nashville about making it their season finale on the streets not the super speedway and having the championship banquet so that would be one if that happens um from what I've heard it's far from being done but I think it's it, it's kind of why I threw it out there I threw it out there as my idea you know, that's why you never really know about my ideas, whether they're just things I throw against the wall. Sometimes it's things I've heard, but I can't fully source. So I might kind of present it that way, but I still don't know where this is at because I think there's some obstacles and some hurdles, but that's why I talked about it because I think it is worth talking about and seeing if you can make that happen. So, uh, you know, that happens. I think I think next year is a year you could see a little bit of a shakeup in the schedule. Maybe not so much with markets, but with dates. And I talked last week about if you want to see the uh, NASCAR IndyCar doubleheader, you probably want to go. A little more to that. Uh, It was confirmed somewhere, either by NASCAR. I can't remember if it was a report or just confirmed. But Goodyear is doing a tire test on the Oval for nascar right after this year's brickyard and it was said now this doesn't mean we're going back to the
1: oval but we at least want to be ready in <laughs> case they do so there you go there you go all right we're about ready to wrap things up safe travels um another good weekend in iowa speedway coming up all right see you soon be back in just a moment on trackside we'll have joey barnes indycar.com and more here on trackside Side. 5, 107.5 the fan how this is going
3: Nixon, and you're listening to Trackside.
1: Welcome back to Trackside. Kurt Cavan here. Kevin Lee has taken this segment off. We thought we'd take a little bit of a dive into one of the names that you see a lot, particularly these days on IndyCar.com. Joey Barnes has written for a number of different publications over the years. He's been a real asset to our staff. And as you start to look through IndyCar.com and IndyNext.com, particularly IndyNext, you see a lot of kind of his assessments of where things are in that series, features, profiles, et cetera. We thought we'd give him a chance to kind of you know introduce himself i mean you see you've seen his byline for a number of years probably close to a decade now but joey i guess uh just give us a little sense of where you've been and and how you got here
2: yeah. Uh, so first off, thanks for inviting me, Kurt. Uh, definitely appreciate appreciate it. And uh, a little bit of my background for those that don't know. Uh, actually went from being, just being a fan growing up, loving this sport, and uh, actually just trying to figure out a way to get into it. Uh, created my own website. Was the bedroom blogger that uh, sometimes is uh, got an interesting uh, take. People got an interesting take on, but turned that into opportunities to to end up at Auto Week. And, and have a spell at auto week have a spell at racer obviously freelanced for indycar for for a short term there and uh that's where i got to know kurt and it's where i got to know you and uh the first time around and um yeah just kind of built everything up from the, from literally the ground up and i've and been in this industry for about a decade and uh you know we're creating some good stuff over here at indycar.com so i'm really kind of loving uh how things are sitting this year and, and how we're able to prime the pump so to speak So let's talk about one of those IndyCar...
1: features, I guess you could say, and that is our roundtable that we do. Typically on on Wednesdays, we'll give a little bit of a advanced play on this one because it's Tuesday night, but let's talk about the, the subject matter. We rotate different subjects each week, you know, who's going to win the race, who's going to be the championship threat. We go down through the list of ideas, and by the way, you can always jump in there with ideas for topics you want Joey and I and, and our fellow colleague, Paul Kelly, to weigh in on, but we make our Our take, our picks, if you will, on IndyCar.com. This week's feature is, the question is, which driver is most in need of a great weekend this weekend at Iowa Speedway? I chose Joseph Newgarden because I think he's the one driver with three oval races still to come this season of the seven remaining races. I think he's the one that can make a big gain and has a chance to catch Alex Pillow, if that's even possible. Um, So I'm interested in your take. I haven't heard your take yet, but uh, who would you argue for? Who needs this weekend the most?
2: I would love to acknowledge the championship in in some some form like you have. And and, and Joseph deservingly needs a good run if if we're going to have this championship tighten up in in any way. But kind of looking past the championship, I'm actually looking at guys who have really not had a season start that they've wanted to for the first half. I look at a guy like David Maloukas who's already told multiple sources, multiple outlets, that that he's kind of on his way out looking at a different opportunity next year um, after the two years at Dale Coyne. And so I think he's certainly one you look at. Uh, Given his performances, I think there's – I counted six finishes of 19 throwers uh, this season. So, uh, and But equally, I think Grosjean. I mean, you're looking at a guy now who hasn't finished in the top ten for six consecutive weeks. His only top fives on the season are his two runner-up finishes. The pace has been there. Uh, You know that he holds himself to a certain standard. Andretti Autosport holds itself to a certain standard. And considering where some of the the rumor mills are are floating about – His name has started to circulate a little bit, and I I think because of that, you've got to kind of question, you know, how many of these performances uh, can keep going before – you know, we see a different situation for, for everybody, all involved in, in 2024. So I think he's somebody that needs a great run. Uh, he did good at Iowa last year, finished ninth, finished seventh uh, in both races. Uh, so very capable of still, even though it's an oval doing it. So I, But more than anybody, I think Grosjean in particular needs a good run.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a good one. Joey Barnes joins us. Let's play another little game since we're talking about Silly Season. We've spent a lot of time talking about it. So we'd like to hear someone else weigh in on it let's start with andretti uh so we know colton hurd will be there next year we presume and we we believe that kyle kirkwood would be there there's two other seats crystal ball right now and i can go first if you want to think more about it but crystal ball who takes those other seats right now and i'm not holding you to it michael Andretti's probably not listening uh who do you think fills those other two seats at andretti if there are two more to be filled
2: Yeah, so I think the lineup for next year, I mean, obviously Colton, obviously Kyle Kirkwood, uh, the only driver to win for them so far this year. Uh, It gets a little murky when you're looking at Grosjean because you see the paces there. I got to think that for, for whatever reason, they figure it out. However they do it, they figure it out. And I see Grosjean coming back next year. Uh, the 29 car is the interesting part of this. Um, Steinbrenner obviously has, has an ownership say in that a little bit. And there's been, um, I, I think we could see some shakeup there. And I think I've seen seen this since Long Beach. I think it's Marcus Erickson. Um, I, I look back to Long Beach and, and being there and seeing kind of the camaraderie that those two shared, uh, those two being Marcus Erickson and Michael Andretti when Kirkwood won and Erickson was on podium. And there just there seems to be a synergy there, and I haven't been able to unsee that ever since. And I just as things have kind of continued to move forward in the season, I feel like that's what we're building towards. So I will argue the
1: the 28 car, and if it's not Grosjean, and I think it's probably still 50 50, 40 60 that he's back in that seat. I'll go with David Malukas, who I think can bring. The HMD Trucking Sponsorship, I think it just kind of fits their group. And then I'm going to argue myself out of it here with this next little question to Joey Barnes. If we're looking at the Ganassi team and you just pegged Erickson to leave Ganassi, uh, who do we got besides Scott Dixon? And I would assume a mark. I'm going to I'm going to just concede that Marcus Erickson or excuse me, Marcus Armstrong is one of those other two drivers. So Dixon and Armstrong. If they have three or if they have four, who are those two drivers in your opinion?
2: Oh, man, Uh, this is where it gets fun. The Palo situation is definitely interesting in this sense that, I mean, you can tell that that the energy level that he has and the belief he has in his team, if we're assuming that Palo is gone, um, I think you're looking at a three-car outfit, and I think you're looking at uh, Marcus Armstrong being full-time dixon and i think that's where malucas heads honestly um i could see a scenario where where polo stays Uh, i very much could Uh, i think some of that's kind of contingent on what opportunities exist within the mclaren scope and what opportunities could present themselves a little bit differently uh, within the f1 landscape and how that could present things on that end um this is going to be kind of a wild one but to go back on the andretti thing just slightly in, in a sense that we see a change within that organization with two cars. There's a name that we haven't talked about in a long time that I wouldn't be surprised with, and it's mostly because close ties to Kyle Kirkwood, but even closer ties to Andretti. I think maybe there's a scenario that we see Oliver Askew in, in some shape, way, or form being that twenty-nine car and Erickson being the twenty-eight. I just there's there's a synergy there and I think that when you look at Askew running in their Formula E program last year. Um, you know I mean I think that there's a possibility of that I he's still around he's still floating in and out of the paddock Um, and I think also don't don't discount the fact that you got a guy like Jake Dennis running in that Formula E program that's running really well and is that a pathway to see what's going to create things for, for Andretti moving forward do we see a scenario where they're bringing in a guy like Jake Dennis into an IndyCar spot. So I think there's multiple directions that that organization can go. Uh it's not just buttoned up that everything stays within this paddock, I believe.
1: Joey Barnes, uh appreciate that. I would kind of talk myself out of out of uh David Maluka's going to Andretti and I think it makes more sense that he would have the opportunity to bring his sponsorship that he would take ganassi before he would take andretti so i think i might slide malukas to ganassi at this point and then that does open up some other possibilities on the andretti side i like armstrong and dixon as you mentioned and then i don't i don't know is there a fourth one
2: well i think the one thing that that we're both forgetting in this sense kiffin simpson is a chip ganassi development driver and depending on what his progress is towards the last half of the season how much more he grows even if there's not a title situation there where he goes off and, and wins the next title uh, that could be a name he's won sports car races obviously in, in both european Le Mans this past weekend and obviously at sebring uh teaming up with with scott mclaughlin so it, i just think that Pending his growth, if there is going to be a fourth seat, uh, that might go to Kiffin Simpson.
1: Yeah, it really could. The other name that uh, you'd have to factor in, a couple of them actually. Somewhere, Linus Lundquist is going to factor in, I believe. I think we'll see him in a race or two to end this season, and and then and then there's Nolan Siegel that I think a lot of people are really high on. Don't know if it's Ganassi and Andretti, but but uh, certainly you could see a place. For Nolan Siegel, I guess as we start to wrap things up, you didn't mention that you had done most of your work uh, prior to coming to IndyCar.com from the state of Texas. As you've been here now pretty close to a year, uh, as you've been around to the teams and, and meet the meet the players a little bit closer as opposed to being in the paddock. What strikes you about living close to the Speedway, being around IndyCar on a more regular basis, maybe something that the the fan base wouldn't pick up on?
2: Besides the mild summers, uh, when it's 80 degrees, everyone says it's hot up here, and I think that's funny. Um, Man, that's a great question. I I think it's the fact that um, you really don't get prepared for the fact that every day that that you come to work here at the Speedway, um, you know you're hearing cars on track in some shape way or form. Like right now we can hear cars and just the, the fact that you show up and there's engine noises in the background and you know, the stuff never stops here. Um, people think that maybe uh the month of may and and maybe with brickyard weekend that that's that's the only time that you really hear and see things coming about but it really is from probably about early april all the way through until uh until the end of the year that that you've got something going on here
1: yeah about 200 days during the year where there's cars that's a good point and the other day i had some some people out some army veterans and they were you know taking in the speedway for the first time and we're surprised that cars were on track so i think that's a that's an interesting element that people miss out on joey it's been great you've had uh great stories and and indy next coverage uh which you know has been really upped our game in terms of indy next and i i know that uh, that had been a part of what you had done before but I guess maybe just some quick thoughts. You've seen more of the next program. Uh, you feel like several of these guys have a chance at the title, and and several of these guys have a chance at IndyCar moving forward.
2: I do. Uh, I do. This is a this is a very interesting class in the sense that I, it just feels like with 19 entrants to start the year and, and we started to see how things kind of play out. I mean, you mentioned Nolan Siegel, he's strong, Christian Rasmussen, Jacob Abel's grown tremendously. I mean, that small team is, is certainly punching above their weight. Um, I, I think don't think you can count out guys like Hunter McElray and, and Louis Foster, Foster showing why he was a USF pro 2000 champion, uh, before he stepped up into Indy next. I mean, it, you look at this roster and there's easily 12 guys you can look at that can go out there and win every week and i mean it's on par with what you're seeing in indycar right now and i think that's hugely vital i mean i remember and you as well as you probably do too at one point we were lucky if we had seven or eight cars and on the grid for for indynext and Maybe of those, we're just seeing outright domination by one or two of them. To see the the depth of this field and also see the strength of the field, knowing that they can just take points away from each other, it really makes these last seven races for for that championship push interesting to watch.
1: Should be good. Joy Barnes, thanks. Uh, read read his stuff on IndyCar.com. We'll be back in a minute to wrap up trackside, see what we missed, and uh, get the schedule laid out for this weekend at Iowa Speedway. This is Trackside.
2: Hi, this is Justin.
1: Garden, and you're listening to Trackside. Back for a final time tonight on Trackside. Kurt Cavan here. It's race week. We've got the hy V IndyCar weekend at Iowa Speedway. Races on Saturday, 3 o'clock uh, airtime. Uh, on Sunday, the second race at 2 o'clock with a green flag at 2.30. The Saturday race... Uh, If you're going to be joining us here on the radio station and or on Peacock and NBC, uh, that race, green flag, will start at 3.06. So be ready to go. Uh, As soon as the broadcast comes on, we'll be green flagging very quickly. Track activity actually begins Friday at 4.30 Eastern. You can catch that on uh, Peacock and IndyCar Live. And then qualifying Saturday at 9.30 Eastern. And that will uh, be a two-lap process for each driver, 28 car and driver combinations in this particular weekend. And so each car will get two laps to qualify. The first lap will set the order for the first race on Saturday. The second lap posted time will determine where they start on Sunday. So a doubleheader weekend. These are races 11 and 12 in a 17 race schedule. So a lot uh, still can happen over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, then IndyCar will take a week off. And then we'll go to Nashville the first weekend in August. and then. The ball really gets rolling toward deciding this championship. Alex Pillow with a 117-point lead on Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden, another nine points back. So Dixon, Newgarden, and the rest of the championship hopefuls not named Alex Pillow need to get busy. We'll see if they can get that done. It's a big weekend to 250 lap races at Iowa. A lot can happen on a short oval and we're going to see uh, we'll have a much clearer picture of what the championship looks like if anyone can catch Alex Pillow based on this particular weekend and and uh, what's left of the season then as I mentioned going to Nashville coming back uh, to Indianapolis for the Gallagher Grand Prix as part of the NASCAR Brickyard Weekend and then uh, we'll finish the season with race. At at Worldwide Technology Raceway in St. Louis, followed by uh, back-to-back weekends at Portland and Laguna Seca to end the season. So a lot still to happen, but this weekend will help determine a lot, help set the stage. We'll have all this for you next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, so be sure to join us for that. For Kevin and Eddie Garrison back in the studio, I'm Kurt Cavan. This has been Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.